Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host tonight, Nick Pollock, and I am not Bill DeFilippo because he is either busy with the NBA draft or his new puppy or both, but, you know, who cares? Uh, I'm joined tonight by the wonderful Matt DeBear, and we have the unenviable task of talking about Penn State football. That sounds like a threat, Nick. I haven't talked to you for six months or something, and this is like the first thing you say to me is, let's talk about the 0-4 Nittany Lions. Yeah, I I wouldn't say that I've been avoiding the football podcasts, but I haven't been necessarily carving out time in my schedule for them because I'm just so disinterested in talking about this team. Yeah, there's... um... One of my buddies and I were, were looking at the weather forecast this week, and there, there was a chance to play some golf this coming Saturday. It mm-hmm. looks like it's not going to work out in, in lovely southeast Michigan, but uh, let's just say the, the desire to find other things to distract myself has never been at a, at a higher level than it is right now during a football season. Well, now that we have you all fired up and interested in the team, let's talk about them. Uh, but before we go into this Iowa game, which – we unfortunately will get to. I think we should quickly talk about uh, recruiting because there was a bit of news. We were recording this on Wednesday, November 18th. There was a little bit of news in the recruiting world, uh, no commitments or anything, but 247 Sports did release uh, their newest round of rankings updates uh, that resulted in a pretty nice bump in the ratings for uh, five different Nittany Lions. Uh, we had wide receiver Lonnie White Jr., cornerback Kalen King, linebacker Jamari Budden, uh, offensive guard Nate Bruce and tight end Khalil Dinkins all got bumped up. Lonnie White being the big one, he moved up from number two, uh, number three hundred eleven in the two four seven sports rankings, all the way up to number seventy one overall. Uh, puts him well within four star status. Uh, Kalen King moved from three eighty five to two hundred six. That put him inside the top two four seven as well. Also solidified his four star status. Jamari Budden went from, and I'm just realizing now on the site I spelled his last name Budden, so. By the time you read that, I won't say that anymore, but still. Uh, He went from number 302 to 207. He's also a four-star. And then Nate Bruce and Khalil Dinkins were both moved up to four stars on 247 Sports. They both remain three stars on the composite, uh, but still a nice, nice bump for both of them. So, I mean, I think one of the main things here is that with Lonnie White Jr.'s rise, Penn State has a top 10 recruit in Pennsylvania now. Yeah, it's funny. He's um, went from get when he got offered back in the spring, I think it was like May ish. Um, at the time he was a Clemson baseball commit um, and had kind of just fallen off of the radar with football. Um, he played wide receiver as a sophomore and then um, kind of out of necessity moved to quarterback last year and then moved back to wide receiver this year. And every time anyone that um, covers this stuff has a chance to watch him, whether it be in person or, um, you know, video highlights, they just rave about, um, you know, all his, you know, how naturally he, he comes, how naturally he plays the position, um, especially after having that time off. It's kind of one of those, every time he goes out there, he gets a little bit better. Um, it'll be interesting, interesting to see how ESPN and Rivals follow suit with this. Um, Rivals bumped him up over the summer to a four-star, um, kind of the low level of, of their rankings. Um, but you have to think with some of the, the accolades he's received at this point, um, that's going to probably improve a little bit and that composite score just goes up and up. Um, like you said on the site, Nick, he's an unbelievable baseball player, probably a top two round kind of prospect um, at worst, maybe even a top round, a first round kind of guy. Um, but with the uncertainty around how the MLB draft's going to work and, and everything there, um, 
no one really knows if he's going to be picked, if he were to be picked, would he, you know, follow the baseball path? Um, he said, said and done all the right things at this point as far as looking forward to getting to Penn State, but um, that's really the, the one question lingering with him. But as far as ability on the football field, he's answered a lot of questions this year. Yeah, it, I, normally, I mean, it's, you know, choosing between two sports one of them, when one of them is baseball is always a really tough choice, right? Because baseball, it just takes such a long time to get to the league. But if you do get there, you're, you're talking about the biggest payday in any sport easily. Uh, for I mean, you can be a very, very, very average baseball player and still easily grab like 20, $30 million contracts just the, without the cap and just the way things are. But with how uncertain things are with just the minor leagues in general – it it just seems like a and and plus the fact that he can go to Penn State and still play baseball and still get better and still get drafted for baseball later on it seems like just actual the actual sports themselves aside it just seems like the better bet to play this sport where you're going to get the scholarship and a free ride and an opportunity to still get better than to go into the uncertainty that is the MLB right now that's kind of what I that's how I'm looking at it yeah, you, you know more about that than I do just from, from following baseball and you know, some of the, the intricacies around the draft process. And I know this year they'd cut it down to, what, just two rounds or something. So, you know, the, the usual ability for, like, 1,500 kids to get drafted was, like, 60 or something. So um, something to keep an eye on. I don't think it's um, – like I said, he's said all the right things. Um, you know, we won't really know where that goes for another, you know, what, June, I guess, uh, is when the draft would actually happen. So, um, like I said, something to keep an eye on, but, um, you know, if he, if he makes the happy Valley, then the, they got by all accounts, a, a pretty high level wide receiver. Yeah. It, it, I believe the draft last year was actually five rounds, but I think they're talking about actually shortening to 10 permanently. It used to be like 40. So they're going to really cut out a lot of, a lot of guys with the ch- from the chance to play baseball, but you know, it's all about money and they don't want to pay their minor leaguer. So I guess it makes sense in that regard. Um, but yeah, along with white, uh, I don't know who of the four guys, maybe who, which of the four are you most surprised got a bump? Surprised? Um, probably Nate Bruce, just because he went from kind of an average three star to a um, you know low level four star, but it made a pretty big jump um, just in terms of his rating. I don't know what his jump from you know overall from you know whatever to whatever was, but um, probably just from the sake of him go, jumping up as high as he did is is a little surprising but i know just from the way again the people that follow this more closely than you and i do um, the way they've talked about him i know they're really excited about his potential he's really um you'll be turned from a guy who was just bigger and stronger than everyone around him to a guy who is still those things but also um has really added some athleticism too and you know some of the the uh, technical aspects of offensive line that um, you need, you know, when you get to the college level, just because you're not bigger and stronger than the other guy for the most part. Um, guy that I'm, I'm glad to see got a bit of a recognition was Kalen King um, from uh, Detroit. It was a kid that um, was kind of surprising. He had fallen as far down as he did. He was a high three-star, um, I think, on the composite um, prior to this. I think he was even rated there uh, on 247, right on the, on the periphery of, of four-star status. Um, but every time I've had a chance to check out his highlights, whether it be stuff that gets posted online or living here in the Metro Detroit area, uh, getting a chance to see some of his highlights on the news and things like that. Um, he's been really impressive. I think, um, I think you can make a case. He's probably still a little bit underrated at two Oh six nationally, but um, 
looks like a really good one. And I'm, I'm impressed. His brother didn't get any bump up in the ratings, but um, he has some, some probably athletic limitations. But as far as linebackers go, he checks a lot of boxes there. Um, Jamari Budden, um, you know, kind of is that, that prototypical linebacker recruit um, in a lot of ways. Not as uh, highly regarded at this point in his career, but he's got, you know, he's real long, real athletic. Uh, real raw, you know, he's going to have a, need a couple of years to learn the position. Um, and then Quill Dinkins is a guy, the most recent commit that, um, again, not surprising to see him get a little bit of a bump, um, but reading a little bit about him over the last week or two, um, he sees himself as a tight end. That's how Penn State recruited him. Um, I think his performance this year as a tight end um, has really allowed him to get a little bit of a, a bump at that specific spot. I think his athleticism has never been in question, but whether that translated better to the offensive or defensive side of the ball was a question. I think he's answered some of those at this point um, and is going to get an opportunity to play on the offensive side at Penn state. If you want any more information on any of those guys, go ahead and visit roarlinesroar.com and check that out. Uh, be sure to kind of bookmark our recruiting page because uh, we do keep up with those guys, especially in a year where information about them is as precious as ever because no one really knows what's going on in the COVID times. Um, but yeah, Things are looking a lot better for Penn State recruiting in the 2021 class today than they did yesterday. These changes uh, bumped them up to number 24 in the country and number six in the Big Ten on the composite. And that's with just 14 commits. Just to give you a sense of kind of what that means, I mean, the rest of the top six in the conference, Ohio State has 20, Michigan has 21, Wisconsin has 20, Nebraska has 20, and Iowa has 16. And then there's Penn State at 14. And that number of recruits really does play a factor. So if they're able to finish strong in this 2021 class, which they could, it's, you know, it's kind of, it's still tough to say what's going to happen with visits still not being allowed and all that. But if they finish well, they could very easily climb their way back up into the, the top five or the top four in the conference. And that would do a lot for the kind of overall perception of the state of the program for this time. But now, unfortunately, we need to talk about football. So let's talk about Iowa. The Iowa we're Hawkeyes. Gonna, we're going to put off talking about Penn State as long as we absolutely can. Yes. The Iowa Hawkeyes currently sitting at 2-2. Two and two, Lost their first two games of the season. Lost to Purdue 24-20. to 20, Lost to Northwestern 21-20. to 20, uh, And then they went on to beat Michigan State 49-7. to seven, And then they beat Minnesota 35-7. to seven. The way to look at that, in my eyes at least, is they lost to the teams with a pulse, and then they smashed the teams with horrific defenses. That is not a great-sounding formula for what we've seen from Penn State because most of the season, Penn State hasn't had a pulse, and they have had a terrible defense. So on, on that side, it's not really feeling great, but... The good news, at least, is that despite those larger scoring outputs in the last two games, Iowa still doesn't really have a lot going for them on offense. Quarterback Spencer Petras is completing 53.7% of his passes, and he's only averaging 5.7 yards per completion. That's pretty abysmal. He has three touchdowns to four interceptions, been sacked three times. Um, I mean, the run game has been better. Tyler Goodson has 375 yards on the, on the ground. Makai Sargent has 208 yards. But this Iowa offense just doesn't really have a lot to 
be afraid of whether or not Penn State is the team that can stop them is something we'll get to in a little bit. But I don't know, Matt, what are you looking at when you look at this Hawkeye offense? Um, a lot of very Iowa looking numbers. Um, they, they run the ball pretty well. You know, the Goodson and Sargent, those two top backs average over six yards of carry. They've got nine touchdowns between them. Um, what's really surprising to me is that you touched on is with Spencer Petras at quarterback, com- less than six yards per attempt. Um, his long is 30 or 40 yards. I'm sorry. He's only thrown for three touchdowns in four games and he's thrown four interceptions. Um, not really Iowa quarterback like numbers, at least as far as taking care of the ball. Um, I look at their, you know, they don't really have a, a go-to receiver. Um, you know, Sam Laporta, their tight end is leading all their, their pass catchers with just 14 catches for 133 yards. Um, no one really jumps out as, you know, a, a big play threat. Um, Tyrone Tracy is averaging about 11 yards. Nico Regani is averaging about 11 yards. Uh, Amir Smith-Marset is averaging about 11 yards. Um, <laughs> but it's it, no one, you know, 14 catches, 11 catches, 11 catches, a couple of guys with nine. Um, you know, the, the long was – their longest completed pass of the year was to uh, Goodson, the running back, for 40 yards. Um, he's caught eight passes, and um, I'm looking here. They're, they've got uh, – four more catches around between the running backs, one with a fullback. Uh, if anyone remembers what that position is. Um, I, it's, it's a myth. It it, this, is, this looks like a very Iowa type of team. You know, they don't have the, the skill position players that are going to blow you away. Um, uh, the one thing that does jump out is Petrus has only been sacked uh, three times. Um, you know, so they, they protect him pretty well. Um, just looking at the, the average uh, yards per carry for their the guys that have primarily carried the ball is you know over five yards a carry over six yards a carry for the two primary backs so um typical iowa offensive line by all accounts uh, but like you said nick it's a matter of are they the team that lost to purdue and northwestern by a combined i think five points um two teams that seem to be okay i think um or the team that ran away from Michigan State and Minnesota, two teams that have just um, Michigan State's win against uh, dysfunctional Michigan notwithstanding. They've, they've been bad. Yeah, exactly. Minnesota has stopped no one. Um, even in their their one win against Illinois, um, I want to say they gave up quite a bit of yard yardage, and um, but were able to score a bunch of points. So, I this like I said, it's very Iowa to me. So I I don't know. I've kind of taken this 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 opinion with every game this year, um, whether Penn's involving Penn State or not, is it's really hard to get a read on just about every team that isn't Ohio State in this conference. Um, I think Wisconsin's pretty good. We finally saw them for the first time in a few weeks last week. But other than those two teams, um, there's teams that we know aren't aren't very good. Um, you know, Minnesota and Michigan State are two of them. By record, Penn State's not very good, but um, and I'm sure we'll talk about this in a little bit, that their win expectancy in two of those losses is you know, over 80% in one and close to 95 in another. So they've, Penn State's done a lot of good things in those losses. So, you know, Minnesota and Michigan State haven't done a whole lot of very good things. So I don't know. I, I, this feels like, you know, on paper, you look at what Penn State can do on paper at, on the defensive line. Is that enough to neutralize the running attack? Um, I don't know. That's, that's my, my big takeaway. I don't know. 
you just said about, I don't know, maybe 1,500 more words about Iowa's offense than I was expecting you to say. Um, None of them meant anything, though. It was just, it was reading a lot of ESPN.com stat lines. I think it's worth noting, too, with Tyler Goodson, if you take out his one seventy-one yard run, his average yards per carry does go down to 4.9. So maybe not quite as uh, effective as he looked. Not that 4.9 yards per carry is ineffective by any means, but maybe not a true six yards per carry type of back. Um, but yeah, it's you know, it's a, it's an Iowa offense. It's it is what it is. You you know exactly what it is. There aren't any surprises, and that's a similar story to the defense, where the offense is. Let's see, they're fifty fifth fifty fifth in SP plus ranking. Oh my god, let's start that over. They are fifty fifth in their offensive SP plus ranking, but they are third defensively. And obviously, at this point, there's still a lot of preseason bias going into those uh, into those rankings. But still, the Iowa defense has been significantly better than I think what we we expected from the offense. They have yet to allow more than 24 points. That was to Purdue, uh, 24 Purdue, 21 to Northwestern, and then only seven in each of the last two games. And I think probably the most most impressive of those was the Minnesota one, only allowing seven to them because, yeah, Minnesota's off uh, defense is terrible, but their offense at least had been scoring a bit. So to hold them to seven, I think, is pretty impressive. I mean, is there anything different about this defense than they are normally? Is I mean, really, this is just Iowa. We joke all the time. You you don't need to do any research for an Iowa game. It's the same Iowa team you've been watching since 1999. It's they are what they are. Yeah, I think the one thing that, from a statistical perspective, jumps out is they've got eight interceptions. But I want to say like six of those came against Michigan state. Cause uh, actually it was only three. Um, I think that was the, the Michigan state records game where they kept giving the ball. Yeah, to, Sparty, uh, to Sparty was just handing the ball to Rutgers. But, but Rocky Lombardi did throw three picks um, in that, that 49 uh, seven trouncing. Um, so I guess the, the, the ability to take the ball away, they've got eight interceptions and two fumble recoveries is a little um, eye-opening especially given Penn State's propensity to throw the ball to the other team at this point um and you know especially if if Sean Clifford were to get the start but at the risk of saying 1500 more words about Iowa's defense (laughs) um no it's this is of all the Iowa football teams this is certainly one of them yeah that's Again, that it's that's just what it is. This it's this game is exactly the same every year. The only thing that changes is the Penn State side of things. And for so long that worked so well for Iowa. But once Penn State tried started being a team that learned how to adjust, they started being able to take advantage of that. I just I'm not sure if this Penn State team is as able to do that as past ones have. But we will get to that when we get to Penn State because before we get there, it's time to ask some fun, Kirk. Ference questions. Are you ready? I have no idea where this is going, but I'm excited. So we're going to start with, uh, we're going to start with this one. We're going to play the game of is Kirk Ference older than blank. Okay. So the first one on my list is Kirk Ference older. Yes or no. than Jean-Claude Van Damme. No. He is older than Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> Wait, how old is Jean-Claude Van Damme? Well, I can't tell you that because that might give you – that might tip things. I'll tell you everyone's age at the end because okay, okay, that might tip okay. you off for other ones. I'm fast. I'm, I'm all in now, now that I know where we're going with this. <laughs> all right, next one. Larry Bird. No? 
he is older than Larry Bird. <laughs> Next one, Pierce Brosnan. I have no idea. Um, yes. He is younger than Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, I'm going to go over on this. I can feel it. <laughs> uh, next one, Roger Clemens. Um, he is older than Roger Clemens. Yes, he is older than Roger Clemens. It. Well done. Jerry Seinfeld. Ooh. Uh, he is older than Jerry Seinfeld. He is younger than Jerry Seinfeld. Okay. I did, doing this research really opened my eyes to people's ages. I was not expecting some of these. How about Bill Walton? <laughs> Bill Walton could be anywhere between like 30 and, and 90. Uh, so I'm going to guess he's, he's older than Bill Walton, but I have no idea. Bill Walton is older than Kirk Ferentz. Okay. Uh, how about Lovey Smith? Ooh. I'm going to say... Kirk is older than Lovey. Yes, he is. Well done. Vladimir <laughs> Vladimir Putin. Um, I I think he's he's younger than than Vlad. He is younger than Putin. Well done. I think Putin's like seventy something, <laughs> but he looks like he's about forty and could kill me with his pinky. You'll find out soon. Uh, the next one, his sons, Brian and James combined. <laughs> um, two of, those are two of his three sons, by the way. He does have another one, a younger one, Stephen. But this um, is just Brian and James. Okay, just this, the oldest and the middle one. Um, I will say he is younger than his sons combined. Yes, he is, just barely. And the last one. Oh, no. I'm proud of this one. Tony Dungy. Ooh. Now, quick reminder, Tony Dungy retired from coaching in 2008. This feels like, a, like, you're, like you're trying to trick me by bringing that fact up, but I'm going to say he is older than Tony Dungy. He is. By just a few months, he is older than Tony Dungy. That one, <laughs> that one is absurd to me. Okay, how old is my guy, Kirk? So Kirk Ferentz is 65. Okay. <laughs> Brian and, Brian and James combined are 68. Pierce Brosnan is 67. Jerry Seinfeld is 66. Bill Walton is 68. And Vladimir Putin is 68. Okay. Jean-Claude Van Damme is 60. Larry Bird is 63. Roger Clemens is 58. Lovey Smith is 62. And Tony Dungy, like I said, just a couple months younger than Ferentz. This, this, has been, this is the most I've ever learned about Kirk Ferentz on a podcast. So overall, I think like one, two, three, four, five. You went five and five. You evened it out. Okay. Good job. I started out slow. Finished strong. So my next Kirk Ferentz question. Uh, these one, this one isn't, isn't as much fun, but more of just an interesting conversation. How long do you think he coaches for? His current deal expires after the 2025 season. Oh, it's almost time for an extension then based yeah. on, on precedent. Um, so, sorry, I'm, I'm getting a text message here that's making me laugh about something completely unrelated. Um, I don't, I, at 65, um, I, before this season, I would have said, you know, maybe, you know, for two or three more seasons, the, the big unknown in all this, um, and it's kind of quieted down um, since the summer is all the off-field off um, drama that came up with their longtime strength and conditioning guy mm -hmm. um, and some of the former players that have come out since then with, um, you know, various allegations of 
racial insensitivity and, and things along those lines. Um, you know, we joke a lot as I just did about, about extensions and his unseemly high buyout, but, um, the, the way this year has gone for so many teams, it's hard to really get a feel on those guys that aren't going to get fired, but you wonder how much longer they're going to go. Um, he reminds me in a lot of ways of Mark D'Antonio is that guy that just, you know, was there for a long time and kind of plateaued in uh, Michigan state's case, it's kind of started to fall down from those heights of just a few years ago. Um, but, you know, I was sitting at two and two, um, you know, in a, in a year they probably weren't expecting you know, even a normal year to have, have a big year with all the turnover at some key spots. Um, so I, if, if the off field stuff kind of quiets down and, um, you know, I don't know if there's investigations ongoing or anything like that. I could see him going for another couple years, you know, two, three more years at least. Um, but, you know, we, we saw it with a number of guys, um, you know, as, you know, the um, social justice stuff has become so much more important all over the country that um, guys that you never thought of all of a sudden are, are on short leashes or looking for new jobs. So you wonder in a place like Iowa where he's so ingrained there, um, you know, how much of that he can weather if there is more to come out. You mentioned his buyout. Who, all right, here's a bonus question. I didn't have this on my list. Which, name one college program, if somebody were to pay for his buyout in order to steal Kirk Ferentz, who would it be? Well, in, in all fairness, that buyout is if, if the school wants to fire him, but just for the sake yeah, of Yeah, but let's, let's pretend that it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> who, who would pay eight figures in buyout money to hi- and then, then, uh, then his contract to hire Kirk Ferentz at 65 with his, his track record at Iowa? I don't even know where to start with that. He's not going to the SEC. As much as I would like to see Kirk Ferentz week in, week out against some of those SEC programs. <laughs> um, that's not happening. Um, it would be fascinating to see him in the Big 12 against uh, oh my. The, the, the high-flying offenses. Same with the Pac-12. <laughs> Put him at Texas Tech. <laughs> that, that is the ultimate um, mismatch fit. Uh, I, don't, right. I don't know. This, this is morphing into my second question, so I'm just going to bring it up. Who would be the funniest team to, for Kirk Ferris <laughs> to go coach for? <laughs> Um, well, after his comments, after they smoked Minnesota, the Gophers would be pretty damn funny. Um, mm. but for the reason, not the reasons that we're thinking of here, um, the Texas tech would be up there. Oregon, you know, with, with the, the huh. uniforms and the, the, the flashy, you know, they've always had the, the fun offense. Um, who I, I want, I want Kirk Ferentz at Auburn. That would be good. I USC, feel like Nick Saban Kirk, would be so annoyed to have to play Kirk Ferentz in the Iron Bowl every what year. What about Kirk Ferentz at USC in LA? <laughs> Kirk Ferentz does Hollywood. Can you imagine how great of an offensive line they would build, though? Because at USC, it doesn't matter who's coaching. USC, if you, if you have a pulse, you can get basically any West Coast recruit you want. And with Kirk Ferentz's uh, history of offensive linemen, that offensive line could be incredible. Yeah, I, I'm I'm trying to think like 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 culture fit in the town. I I don't think I can top LA culture fit with the program. I don't think I can do better than Oregon because mm. because you know Kirk Ferentz isn't going with however many diff- hundreds of uniform combinations the Ducks can pull out. <laughs> oh, that 
I'm trying. Would he just? I feel like he would just like hold a ceremony to like burn all of them except the plain green ones. <laughs> He'd have some sort of like, like very boring Twitter video announcing why why they're going back to this the you know the 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 home green and the road white. Hashtag back to basics. <laughs> all right. So last question: If Kirk Ferentz were to decide to retire after this year. Who would be, and this is a three-part question. So part one is, who would be the funniest replacement? Okay. I, I, I want to know all three at once because I, 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 okay, okay. I have a thought in mind. And... The, the, so the, the different questions here are, who is the funniest replacement? Who is the best replacement? And who is the most likely replacement? Oh, all three are Brett Bielema. Mm, interesting. <laughs> For very different reasons. Let's be honest, Brett Bielema on his own, funny. Um, Brett Bielema makes a lot of sense at Iowa played there, you know, his history there. And, um, he's, I think he's just, you know, hanging out with the Patriots for the time being. So he's, he's available. So I'm going Brett Bielema for all three. All right. I'm going to say funniest Will Muschamp. Well, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> um, best. Hmm. I think best of like guys who could be looking for a head coaching job around that time. I think that your best would be Brett Venables. I don't know if that would be the type of job he'd be willing to leave Clemson for, but I think that would be probably your best possible option and to kind of stick with the culture of what they do there. Most likely replace. I don't know how, I don't know how you don't agree with me here. It's Brian Ferentz. (laughs) I mean, I'm going to be honest here. I went for the for the obvious joke answer for all of it. <laughs> so, um, no, I, I don't think you can top Will Muschamp. Well, well, Brett Bielema is the funniest, undoubtedly, um, <laughs> just because because you know the everything that Brett Bielema has done in his coaching career between Wisconsin and and Arkansas and everything he's said and done. Um, so you're not topping him for the funniest in my mind. Um, Brent Venable is not leaving Clemson for Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did. I didn't. Dabo, Dabo would match his contract to keep him from making that mistake. I, I gave my different answer for most likely that I just answered my own question of best. <laughs> you're going to say best. It's Iowa. You're going to go with the defensive minded guy. But I think you're right. Brian Ferentz makes the most sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. I guess we should talk about Penn State. Um, From the fun to the not nearly as fun. uh, All right. So Penn State's offense. I think it would be surprising to see Sean Clifford back out there as the starter this week. I, my, my personal position on it is still that Sean Clifford is the better suited quarterback for this offense. I think that is, I don't even think that's really debatable, but it's clear that he is not getting the job done this year, whether it's a combination of not quite understanding the offense yet, uh, the offensive line allowing him to get killed back there and forcing him to develop even worse happy feet, whatever it is. He's got nine touchdowns, six picks, and has been sacked 14 times. He, he can't go back in there, in my opinion. Levis went in. At least he protected the ball. They, uh, they seem to get a spark just from having someone different back there, whatever reason. Um, I think it has to be Will Levis and I don't know. Are you, what are you expecting the offense to, if it is Will Levis, are you expecting it to look any different? Are you expecting them to 
maybe do a little more just pure read option to get Levis going on the ground and to try to protect him from throwing too much? What do you think? I, I think it has to be Levis, like you said. Um, and I, I agree with everything you said about Sean Clifford, too. Bill and I talked about this, I think, when we were, were yelling about the Maryland game a couple of weeks ago on, on the recap podcast. And I think it's just part of Sean Clifford's makeup that he just, when things aren't going right, he tries to make it all, get it all back all at once. And it just, it has just snowballed downhill from there. It's just gotten worse and worse. The more, the harder and harder he tries. I don't think this is a, you know, he's given up. He's, you know, not trying anymore. I think he's trying too hard to be perfectly honest. And I think sitting for, you know, the second half last week and, you know, I think we're all kind of assuming that Will Levis is going to get the start this week. I think that's long-term, whether it's at Penn State or somewhere else, is good for him just to kind of take a step back. Um, but I think you're going to see a lot of what they ran at Nebraska. I think you'll probably see, especially early, assuming it's Levis, is a lot of the, the read option look, you know, get him comfortable, get him to settle in, um, like they did with, with uh, him coming in relief against Nebraska. And then, you know, as he kind of settles in, start letting him, you know, throw the ball a little bit more. Um, I was impressed. I don't know if that's the right word or not, but compared to where last time we saw him um, a year ago against Rutgers when the passing game was just non-existent um, with Levis in there when, when Clifford missed the game due to injury, um, his, he's cer- certainly not a finished product by any means, but he has grown quite a bit from where he was a year ago from what we saw at least as a passer. Um, I do wonder if he's the type of guy who just getting first team reps in practice. I mean, cause that it's, it's a lot of reps that you get as the first team or compared to the second team. I wonder if that alone is enough to just kind of give him a little bit of a boost with his accuracy. And they've talked a lot about how Clifford has gotten a, probably more than they normally would have um, first team reps, just because of the nature of the, the prep for this year and the new offense and the lack of any spring practice and, and any like normal fall camp sort of thing. Um, so, um, you know, obviously we don't get to see what goes on at practice um, during a normal year, let alone the pandemic year. So, um, you have to think that Levis is getting more of those reps, whether it's all of them, you know, we'll never really know, but, um, I think he's a guy that just needs a chance to play a little bit more. I don't think he's, you know, the, the million dollar question that we ask, you know, every year at quarterback is, you know, is this the guy that's going to, um, you know, become that elite quarterback that takes Penn State to the next level. I don't think he's that guy. Um, you know, certainly not right now, I, whether he can get there or not, you know, it seems unlikely just based on being in his third year in the program now and all that stuff. But um, I think he, he's grown as a, as a quarterback for sure. It's just um, you know, whether that's enough at this point or not. Um, I was encouraged by just the life that the team showed um, with him coming in on both sides of the ball, really. I think him coming in and then having some success, um, moving the ball, scoring some points, um, obviously the red zone uh, fiascos are, are a huge red flag, but the team just had some energy for the first time um, really since, you know, maybe early in the second half against Ohio state when they kind of simplified that game plan and got Clifford going a little bit. Um, you know, the, the defense started playing better, you know, the offense seemed to have a little bit more of a rhythm um, whether that carries over or not, who knows, you know, we thought that the second half against Ohio state was going to carry over against Maryland and, and that didn't happen. So um, I think you'll see, assuming it's Levis, a little bit more of a, a conservative um, start to the game, you know, try and control the game, you know, protect the ball, you know, all those things they talk about. 
Um, but I guess what I'm looking for more than anything is, does this provide the kind of spark that we saw with him coming into the game last week? I think the other thing that I'm wondering with the offense is last week we saw a new offensive line for the first time in a long time, really. We saw the redshirt freshman Caden Wallace get the start at right tackle, and we saw Will Fries move over to right guard, uh, which, of course, bumped C.J. Thorpe out of the lineup. And then when C.J. Thorpe did get on the field for a drive, he had that really terrible, unnecessary roughness penalty or whatever it was called officially. Uh, and that was the only – he didn't see the field again after that. So it certainly looks like Thorpe has played his way out of the lineup. The only thing that I'm wondering is with this season clearly being lost, and I know that they're going to continue to give Will Fry's reps there because they're trying to help him uh, improve his NFL draft stock. But I'm wondering if, I mean, if CJ Thorpe is really on the outs, I wonder if they give a little bit more time to maybe a guy like Juice Scruggs there, or do they try to work CJ Thorpe back in there a little bit knowing next year that Mike Miranda is going to be gone or sorry, that uh, Michael Mennett's going to be gone, and Mike Miranda might be the guy who has to slide into center and they'll need a new guard, um, whether that they expect that to be Dez Holmes or they expect Scruggs to flip over there or to the – I mean, Juice Scruggs could play any of those interior positions. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of questions going forward next year, but uh, do you think that this, this change, what we saw, is permanent, at least in the short term, with Wallace, at right, with Wallace and Fries on the right side? I think so. I think for all the reasons you mentioned, I – think they're still I think rightfully so being pretty cautious with Juice Scruggs you know coming back from his um, significant injury um, in that car crash a couple years ago Um, I'm curious to see I would like to see them work Wallace in at guard a little bit I know they you know kind of envision him as a tackle but um, even going back to when he was a recruit um, he was one of those guys that okay he can be a pretty good tackle but man he can be really good at guard Mm -hmm. Um, and it kind of is unfortunate to some degree that he's been forced to tackle by, you know, Will Fry's just kind of plateauing and maybe backsliding even a little bit there from where he was a couple years ago. Um, but again, I, I think you're trying to balance, you still want to win football games this year, right? You're, you're not, you're not mailing in you know, the rest of the season just for the sake of, of developing guys. Um, but between the way the first half of the season's played out and the, oddity of this season in general and it not counting towards eligibility and all those things, I think you'd be foolish not to in a responsible way for both this year's team and every individual player's development, work those guys in, let them get a, a feel for, for meaningful snaps in some of these games. Um, it's it's a, a great opportunity to kind of see where some of these guys are. Um, and maybe some of them flourish with the opportunity to kind of get out there. Um, I'm always, and we saw a lot of this, you know, going back four or five years when they were forced to play guys real early because of the scholarship situation. I just, and, and I, I don't doubt they will do this. You just have to be really cautious with not giving, whether it's an offensive lineman or a wide receiver or, or whoever, too much too soon because I can really have long-term impacts for development too. You don't want to put them out there to the point where you're, you are detrimental to their progress long-term. Um, but I think they've got seven or eight guys along the offensive line they're varying degrees of comfortable with. And again, you know, why, why would you not take the opportunity to work some of those guys in for a series here or there in a year that is already was odd to begin with before it even started. And now we're sitting here at 0 and 4 and, um, you know, nothing of, of any huge significance to play for. 
I will say, I'm going to put this on the record right now. My hot take is that Landon Tengwall is starting at one of the guard spots by the end of the 2021 season. I'm just going to put that out there now. That uh, Given uh, C.J. Thorpe's backslide from um, – he had, he had some limitations in his game last year, but it's just kind of fallen apart completely this year. That would not surprise me at all with, with Mennett looking um, – you know, could I guess technically could come back, but has already announced he's going to the Senior Bowl. Yeah. Um, and and Will Fry's being gone, and just I think it's going into next year, you're going to have for the first time really Phil Troutwine having a, an off season to work with these guys on new techniques and um, a lot more hands on instruction as as the health situation improves around the country. Um, I think long term in the offensive line, you could potentially see some huge changes next year between guys that, that are going to leave and, um, you know, a full off season of, of development time with the new coach. Hopefully. Uh, but flipping over to the other side of the ball, then let's talk about Penn state's defense, uh, no. has, has been pretty atrocious, uh, for much of the 2020 season thus far. Uh, but they did finally show at least some signs of life last week in the second half. Uh, you talked about the whole team getting a little energy when Will Levis came in and the defense was a part of that but really just unacceptably so far this year, Penn State's been outscored 93 to 26 in the, in the four first halves that they've played. And yes, the offense has been poor, but for the defense to give up 93 points in four game in the equivalent of two games is just unacceptable, especially for, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, but it took like, eight or nine weeks for Penn state to give up a first quarter point at one point very recently. Like it, this, this is not something that Penn state fans are accustomed to seeing. And really we're more used to seeing Penn state's defense. If it does falter faltering in the second half, because they've been unable to adjust to what offenses then adjust to doing this year has kind of been the opposite. We've seen them be just totally unprepared for what teams have come in and done to start the game and then been able to pick it up in the second half. Now, part of that is that Penn State's been playing from like down three touchdowns to start the second half for most of these games. So the offenses can take a little bit easier, but still it's, it's very, aside from just the fact that it's disappointing to see, it's just straight up strange. So I guess the question is, do you expect, do you expect to see another slow start in this one? Or do you expect to see more of what we saw in the second half last week? I, I will say I'm more optimistic about starting stronger this week because of the Iowa offense. I think it's the kind of offense that isn't going to challenge them in the ways that really every team they've faced at this point has been able to by really exposing the weakness in the back seven. I don't, don't think that Iowa has, between the quarterback play and, and their pass catchers, has enough guys that can, can do that. I could – I could be very wrong. Like, you know, I don't think any of us necessarily expected Maryland to come out and, and just jump all over them the way they did um, down, you know, downfield passing. Um, but I think the matchup with Iowa sets itself up a little bit better to start. Um, one thing I'll add to what you were saying, Nick, is the, the, those numbers are even more astounding because of they were so good against Indiana. And I realized they gave up 17 points in the first half, but – 10 of those were essentially directly off of turnovers. If my memory is right, yep. maybe even more than that. Um, all all they 10 were, just, were because uh, 
both all 10 points followed Clifford's two interceptions. Um, and there was the, the other touchdown, I guess, after the, the, um, the one punt where they ended up with pretty good field position, if, if my memory's right. But mm-hmm. um, so they, it, this hasn't been a, a season long thing. I think they've been put in some bad spots by the offense um, just with turnovers and short fields and, um, you know, not being able to get off the field um, for long stretches because of the, the ineptness of the offense. But um, the safety play, I know um, Bill and Dan talked about this in the podcast after the Nebraska game. The safety play has just been mind-numbingly bad for really a second year in a row now. Um, but the linebacker play, and I think that's probably the biggest surprise to, to all of us, is there's talent there, but the linebackers just have been missing in action. You know, you, you, you see them making plays seven or eight yards down the field, not plugging holes at the line of scrimmage. Um, it's just, I think it's, Micah Parsons really um... – made our expectations for linebackers a little a bit unrealistic uh, because we saw him come in and just be ready to go essentially right away. I mean he did have things to work through his first year as a starter but as highly talented as the others guys these other guys are they're not like Parsons and he also played with two guys that had played a lot of football in Jan Johnson and yeah and Cam Brown um and I think for all for those those two guys in particular for their limitations as as linebackers I mean, their experience was just so invaluable. And they've gone from, you know, two guys that have played a lot of, a lot of linebacker and then a third in Micah Parsons that was an all-world athlete um, that was able to cover up a lot of stuff to a lot to probably Ellis Brooks having played the most football um, and being and As we saw with Luke, with Luketa, I mean, the guy that was their backup wheel linebacker last year is apparently the one who's in charge of communicating for the entire defense now in Luketa. Yeah, and it's, it's just, it's, you know, not, I'm not even talking about the whole linebacker, you ethos and, or, and that sort of thing. It's just really since Brent Pry's been here, the linebacker play has been good to outstanding. And man, they just, you know, there's talent there. I don't think that's, that's, undeniable but um i think there there's some growing pains to be had in that group and they're going through them right now um but with all that said i think going back to my my main point i think they're going to look better whether that's enough we'll find out but i think they match up a lot better to start better and not find themselves behind the eight ball as quickly as they have in the last three games as long as the offense can take care of the football just for reference, in their game so far this season, Iowa in the first half against Purdue, a game they lost, they were up 17-14 at the half against Northwestern. They were down 20-14 to at the half against Michigan State. They were up 35 nothing at half. <laughs> and against Iowa, or against Minnesota, excuse me, they were up 14 nothing at half. So they have, they've been over, they've scored at least two touchdowns in every first half that they've played this year. So while I was definitely not going to, I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to say I think it's impossible for them to do to Penn state, what they did to Michigan state, because Penn state continues to find new ways to surprise me this year. But I, I agree that they're, they're not, they're not the quick strike team that's going to typically jump out to a massive lead. So I, th- I think you are, I think you're right in that regard. That's the first time you've ever agreed with me on anything, <laughs> big or small. I think the last thing I want to talk about with the defense is just a pretty simple question. 
will we see a pass rush this week? Um, we saw hints of it last week after it had been completely missing since the last drive against Indiana. Um, well, I guess the second to last drive against Indiana. The last drive, they had one and, it, and then got called for the face mask and, and not to go down that road again. But um, I'm going to hedge and say probably not to the level that we would all hope just based on, you know, Iowa appears to have been able to protect the quarterback pretty well, just giving up the three sacks in four games. Um, with that said, I don't know if they've seen um, two ends like Shaka Tony and Jason Owe. Um, and Dee's Isaac has started to work his way in there a little bit too. Um, and you and I are both huge fans of what PJ Mustafer has done this year. So this is probably the best on paper defensive line that they'll have faced. Um, but Penn State's been so inconsistent since that Indiana game um, and getting to the quarterback, you wonder, you know, is, will that talent advantage manifest itself? Cause it really hasn't consistently to this point. Yeah. I, I, I think Jason Noe and Shaka Tony have been better than what the numbers show. I think they've done a great job of at least getting into the backfield, but Penn state just needs them to, it, they need them to put up sacks, simply put. Like they need them to take quarterbacks down in the backfield um, to at least provide a little bit less pressure on the secondary. Not the corner. The quarterbacks have been great. I stand by the fa- I stand by this. Well, let me amend that. I love what Tariq Castro Fields and Joey Porter Jr. have done this year from the cornerback position. And we don't we're not sure yet if Castro Fields is going to be playing this week. It's been a little uh What's the word shrouded in mystery on what yeah, well, his I think, status I think James is. said he had a, it was a medical, um, it was a medical related or I can't remember the exact words, but they, as, as James is known to do, didn't really give a whole lot of insight into um, what is going on. And especially this year with the, the COVID stuff, you know, who, who really knows. Yeah. He didn't actual... tell us he was injured. He just said something is medically, medically, medically unavailable. I think was the term. Yeah, so who who really knows? Uh, but yeah, any sort of relief for the horrific safety play would be very, very welcomed for this team. So here we are, Penn State, 0-4, Iowa 2-2. What's going to happen this week, Matt? Give me your <laughs> score prediction. Well, as a, as a uh, survivor of the 6-4 2004 game, <laughs> um, when these two get together, anything can happen. Um, I mean, heck, it was the last time I was in, in Beaver Stadium, they were, what, two yards away from from scoring a late go-ahead touchdown. Um, when uh, Who got the interception there? When, uh, uh, who got the interception? Who was the man who consistently underperformed but always happened to be in the right place at the right time? None I, other I, than Nick Scott. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Um, so, all because you know, Noah Fant was looking at the sideline when the ball was set. <laughs> um, I think it's going to be a close game. I think the point spreads, you know, just a point or two one way or another. It's gone back and forth, or it was going back and forth at one point. Currently at Iowa minus two and a half. So I, that seems pretty reasonable to me. I, I want to say that Penn State's been close twice, you know, the Indiana game. And then um, last week against Nebraska with all those red zone opportunities, I have to think that um, if they, if they are ready to play, and that's, that's the million dollar question is, you know, how, how ready to play are you when you're 0 and 4 in a season that, that 
is bizarre to begin with and um you know has, has gone so far off the rails but they they showed life last week when it seemed like it would have been really easy to just kind of to mail it in um being down three scores against nebraska so i think they i think it's a a better played game than than what we've seen um I'll take a flyer and say Penn State wins something like like twenty four twenty. Do you remember that read option pop pass on the first draft of the year to Pat Frymouth? That was fun. The there were huge chunks of that that Indiana game that were a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. There were huge chunks that weren't, but I don't want to think about those. Yeah, I I think that that's kind of the the main thing I'm watching for this week is the red zone offense because I I am waiting until next week to do it, but I'm actually going to go back and I'm going to <laughs> torture myself and watch every single red zone play that Penn state has run this year and do a little bit of analysis on it. And I'm hoping that the results look a little better after this week. So I put it off for a week, but um, I, I mean, we've, we've seen multiple times in the past few years, Penn state be the team that, out executes, out gains, and generally outplays Iowa, and yet Iowa still is only, and Penn State still only wins by one or two points here and there. To, for me, I, I don't see, I personally can't bring myself to predict anything different happening. I think Penn State could very easily be the team that outgains in this game, but I, I, I just can't bring myself to pick a Penn State team that is 0-4 and 0-4 against the spread, by the way. I I can't bring them to I can't bring myself to pick them to win this game. I think Iowa wins this one somewhere in the neighborhood of like 27 to 20. And I I'm I think Penn State probably has more yardage, but I see maybe a turnover or two kind of being the the tide turners in this one. Real quick, pop question, pop question, pop quiz. Take a guess as to, unless you're looking at the page, and this might be spoiled, but how many yards per game is Penn State averaging? I'm going to guess probably around 400. Yep, 437 yards per game. <laughs> probably, probably should convert some of those red zone opportunities and not, not throw the ball to the other team. They are gaining 437 per game and giving up 360 per game. Giving up 360 per game is not great, but they're – on the average, outgaining their opponent by 100, uh, or sorry, less than 100, by, uh, oh boy, math, by 77 yards, and their own four. <laughs> it's just, this is, like, I reached the point last week, I think, pretty, like, pretty early on, I think after the first turnover, I, every time something bad happened to Penn State, I just couldn't stop laughing. Like, it, it is beyond... I am so far past caring about what actually happens on the field at this point that it's just funny. Everything that can go wrong is going wrong. Nick, I, I have—I don't know if this qualifies as breaking news or not, but it just popped up uh, on Twitter from our, our pals at Onward State. Uh, generations of greatness uniforms this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! It, on, uh, I love, first of all, those are the greatest uniforms that exist. I love them so much. I f- this team shouldn't be allowed to wear them. They should, they, it should, they should have to skip this year. They haven't earned the right to wear those perfect, perfect uniforms. 
what if they come out and they and they win you know thirty one ten or something that, that then they're never allowed to wear anything else, right? Well, our, I'm very here for that. If I, do you think James Franklin would be superstitious enough to just to to make that? Ex- I don't even. I mean, I I assume it's his decision, right? What they wear. I I guess I I, I don't, I don't know. really know who the one pushing back would be. I mean, I guess they would have. Obviously, they would still have to wear their their whites on the road, but. It's it's actually Michael Menace's decision because he's the team dad. <laughs> Michael Menace washed all those uniforms himself, and God damn it, you're gonna wear them. <laughs> Darn right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I this this stupid team. I don't. <laughs> I don't. Oh god. Anything else you want to say about this game? This is gonna be the worst <laughs> football game. <laughs> oh no no that that's come the worst worst game thus far because we've got we've got Penn State and Michigan in ten days, Nick. Oh my God, you're right. You know, we've talked about, I know we talked about maybe doing this, doing this for the Rutgers game, but I kind of want to do it for the Michigan game now where we just, uh, you, me, and uh, maybe, maybe flip or bill or somebody just open up a live YouTube and just commentate the game ourselves. I, am, I really want to do that for, the in for that. I really want to do that for the Michigan game. We will say from your, your, your mouth to God's ears, it is happening. And the best part is, is that next weekend is my birthday weekend. So my wife can't tell me I can't do it. (laughs) And she's not listening to this. So it doesn't matter if I say that. I'm making no comment about that because my wife does listen to this. So she does. What did she she want to know if I say anything about her? Oh, well, that's a good reason. She's no wonder why why I did this at at work instead of at home. (laughs) That's a good reason. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god all right we should we should probably go oh See, also i guess talk, the more ridiculous this is going to get i guess i should mention this game will be on the big 10 network and it's happening at 3 30 this is the first time i mentioned that in this podcast but yeah there you go i don't know <laughs> I, I didn't know that so i i learned something more than uh who kirk ferns is older than this week <laughs> Let's see real quick. I'm going to pull up the rest of the schedule. We're going to pick one other game that you want to watch for sure in the Big Ten this week. We have Purdue playing Minnesota at 7.30 on Friday. And then on Saturday, we have – oh, well, I know the answer. We have Indiana at Ohio State at noon, Illinois at Nebraska at noon, Michigan State at Maryland at noon, Wisconsin at Northwestern at 3.30, and, Mich- <laughs> and Michigan at Rutgers at 7.30. <laughs> In New Jersey. <laughs> okay, in order, Ohio State, Indiana, because I'm I'm fascinated to see, you know, just kind of where Indiana stacks up with Ohio State. So that's kind of like the obvious number one. Do you want to take a guess at the spread for that game? I think it's like twenty. Ohio State like minus twenty or something. It's minus insane. twenty and a half. I wonder um, how many times in history the number three team has been favored over the number nine team by twenty and a half points. Um, you do that research and you tell me, but t- tell me you're not God, excited no. for, for one Michigan Rutgers just to see if this can get any more sideways for Jim Harbaugh. Cause I think we all agree it's, <laughs> it certainly can. And don't you want to see what Rondell Moore and David Bell can do to Minnesota's secondary, which has been just invisible all season. I do. I'll be watching every single second of that game on, uh, if, uh, if I hadn't gone to Penn state, I think I would have forced myself to just convert to Purdue fandom by now because I have an unhealthy obsession with David Bell and Rondell Moore. 
for future former Penn Stater David Bell, first of all. But yeah, they, <sighs> don't, that don't is say a fun that. team to watch. And uh, Minnesota has not been able to stop anyone, including Michigan, from throwing the football. So this yeah. that could um, could be a, a bad night for the, uh, the the boat rowers up in Minneapolis. Yeah, I so I was original. I was initially going to say Wisconsin Northwestern because I think that's actually a fairly interesting game, but it has to be Michigan Rutgers. <laughs> I think a lot of people forget that Rutgers first was it their first Big Ten win? No. Was I it? I don't think it was their no. I think no because wasn't there? It wasn't their. Was it their first year in the league that they that happened? I don't. What, what year did Rutgers join the Big Ten? Twenty fourteen. Rutgers twenty fourteen schedule. <clears throat> it, it, that would be so funny if that was all right. So Penn State loss. Oh God, that game was. <laughs> that was a fun game. <laughs> that game too. was amazing. It was Michigan was their first Big Ten win. Uh, I, re- I remember watching my dad and my uncle, huge Michigan fans, with my brother, um, just you know, down the street from from my house, and they were so mad, and my oh. brother just couldn't help himself. I think my uncle wanted to hit him. Oh my God! Devin Gardner was thirteen of twenty-two for one hundred seventy-eight yards and a pick in that game. <laughs> oh my Poor Devin God! Gardner. One of my favorite things, I think, um, I, we, we should probably stop, but I'm going to share this anyway. Um, do you remember, you know how Big Ten Network does those, uh, does those like team only days? They'll show, like they'll have Penn yeah, State yeah. Day on the show. Yeah. So I remember, I think it was over the summer, maybe they had a Penn State Day. And I think the kind of the marquee game was the 2014 Michigan game. And uh, it's 2014, right? Was the quadruple overtime? Uh, yes. I think so. Um, no, no. 20, 2013 was, uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. 2014, 2014 was the, was at that game. 2014 was the fan, foot. was the phantom offsides on the onside, right? Yes. Where I, I kicked a large trash can walking back to my car on the Michigan golf course. And I thought I broke <laughs> my foot. So, <laughs> handled things really well. Oh, that's excellent. Uh, but I remember they were showing that game and they had, they were, they were talking to uh, Devin Gardner during the game and they were also talking to um, Al Robinson and they, Devin Gardner, they dropped, he dropped him out of the broadcast after the, uh, I think after like midway, maybe after the third quarter, but as he was leaving, he was like, Devin Gardner's like, yep. And that's where the game ended. It was a great one. Go Wolverine. It, was, it made me laugh so much. <laughs> I love, I love that kid. He was fun to watch. Uh, it was go. a simpler just, time back then, Nick. Let's just, I, let's just keep talking about teams that aren't Penn State. But not right now because we need to go. Uh, so once again, Penn State taking on Iowa on Saturday. Watch at your own peril. Iowa favored by two and a half points. Game is at 3.30 on the Big Ten Network. Make sure you follow along with Roar Lions Roar for all of our coverage on the game, uh, which there will unfortunately still be some more to come. And Will gets to talk about perhaps the least anticipated of any Penn State Iowa game, which is really saying something because they are all very lowly anticipated. That's not right, but I don't care anymore. Uh, if you want to support the site, please visit our store, RoarLionsRoar.com, store, Lions store, pick up a t shirt or one of our new sweatshirts. Uh, I 
I realize I am a very biased source, but the We Are Legends sweatshirt, I know it's not the best year for it, but it is an incredibly comfortable sweatshirt. And I own basically all the Roar Lines Roar merchandise, and this is my favorite piece of it. It is a fantastic sweatshirt. Uh, go on and see if there's one in your size available and make that purchase. Make sure you... Uh, if, you if you wear a small, there is. We, uh, we are out of everything else. So for our, our tiny Penn State fans, we, we, we have you covered. And if you want the sweatshirt and it's not available for you, let us know on Twitter because if there's enough demand, we could get more. Um, make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever it is you listen to your podcast, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Pocket Cast, Overcast, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to this. We're everywhere. Um, and make sure you visit the site for all that great content that we talked about already. I don't want to talk about Penn State anymore. Matt doesn't want to talk about Penn State anymore. So we're going to leave you there. For myself, Nick Pollock, for my co-host, Matt DeBear, thanks for listening. Go State. Our theme song is Anita Bake by Kane Wick. You can find more of their music on SoundCloud. I need some